This is a News Laundry podcast and you're listening to Let's Talk About. The metaphor is often considered to be a fundamental unit of human intelligence. The way a kilo is a fundamental unit of weight and a meter is a fundamental unit of length. When we call someone sweet or talk about bending the rules or grasping at ideas or chal rahe we're taking a very sophisticated cognitive model from one place and using it to explain something else humans are seriously good at this the genius of the metaphor is that it helps us understand complex models we can't articulate if we had to describe a malicious algorithm that inserts code into a computer to bring it down it would be a struggle But the moment we call it a virus infecting a computer, everybody knows exactly what we're talking about. When the political right says Bharat Mata, what they're doing is presenting a well-understood cognitive model that explains nourishment and loyalty and using it to explain nationalism. When they say Gai Mata, it starts getting more literal because now there's breasts and milk involved, but it's essentially the same thing. The idea of nourishment and our loyalty to it is brought to the cow. The more familiar and versatile the metaphor, the more easily it travels. Sometimes so easily that we don't even know where the metaphor comes from anymore. Like the metaphor coming to a head, which comes from pus collecting on the head of a pimple before it bursts. In many ways, the metaphor epitomizes the kind of intelligence computers struggle with. Reasoning by metaphor is a form of reasoning that's flexible and nimble, unfixed and still resilient. It uses ideas from outside systems to explain systems, maps a cognitive model from a familiar context to another. And we can do this because a number of things came together for us. We have very sophisticated abilities to speak. We recognize patterns. We understand the unspoken. We can imagine what isn't in front of us. We have a pool of shared human experience. We can see concepts and we can see relationships between concepts. Humans have an internal theory of the world one a computer does not. This is a barrier artificial intelligence is struggling to breach. Over the course of this episode 2 of Let's Talk About Big Data, we'll discuss how much we can achieve with the AI that exists today. The things it can and can't do. We'll also wonder what it takes for us to build intelligence that's robust, flexible, meaningful. Intelligence like metaphorical reasoning. आजकल कहा जाता है डेटा इज द न्यू ऑयल द वर्ल्ड चेंज शेप वेन डेटा गॉट बिग डेटा इज ऑल्सो डेंजरस एंड डेटा कुड बी एक्सप्लोसिव दिस शो इज अबाउट हाउ इट चेंज्ड क्रिकेट वी कैन गो बॉल बाय बॉल सो वी कैन इन एसेंस we produce the entire match on the back end system what we know mark my words ai is far more dangerous than nukes and also what we don't privacy is dead if you get to edit out what you are presenting depending on who's watching my name is sneha vakharia and let's talk about big data the year is 1956 10 scientists meet over a summer at dartmouth to discuss thinking machines except nobody agrees about how a machine should think so the scientists come up with a new term a quote unquote neutral term acceptable to all artificial intelligence 
and what they had in mind wasn't robots nor self-driving cars but a machine that could build one generalizations and two concepts statistical models and cognitive models one of those men and of course they were all men was a scientist called Marvin Minsky and he was really very optimistic about the future of ai he believed that the problem of creating artificial intelligence could be solved within one generation minsky's optimism deserves some context life had been good to marvin minsky he was the son of a jewish surgeon born in 1927 in new york city he served in the us navy the year world war 2 was won he went to harvard then princeton then founded the ai department at mit minsky was optimistic because life had rewarded him for his optimism and he would go on to build the beginnings of the most used ai today in a way i had the whole world of computer science almost to myself and these kids for uh, quite a while we were used to a major new discovery every two or three days now you would have one every two or three years so it was very exciting but we took it for granted and wondered what was wrong with the rest of the world they didn't get it on the other side of the ring was another jewish american called michael polani polani was 30 years older than minsky he was a refugee of nazism he had been at the peak of his career as a chemist in germany when the nazis came to power he had seen humanity at its worst polani's central philosophy the intellectual core he stood for was that being positive makes us stupid in 1962 polani delivered a lecture series at uc berkeley this is an extract from the lecture psychiatrist demonstrated to his students a patient who was having a mild fit of some kind later the class discussed the question whether this has been an epileptic or a hysteroepileptic seizure the matter was finally settled by the psychiatrist gentlemen he said you have seen a true epileptic seizure i cannot tell you how to recognize it but you will learn this by more extensive experience a doctor needs to see an epileptic fit before she can learn to diagnose it A theoretical explanation will never equal seeing it in the flesh. What Polani is saying is that our ability to understand, to see, to make sense of is much greater than our ability to explain what we understand. Most of the shared knowledge in the world is unspoken but understood. He calls this the tacit dimension. Here's another example. Many of us can cycle and swim, but we struggle to explain what we're doing. How we balance, how we stay afloat. There are many things we all understand but struggle to articulate. What nostalgia feels like, what ghee smells like. Polanyi's paradox is the theory that there will always be things unspoken in the world, things beyond our ability to codify even if we understand it. Our spoken, written, captured understanding of the world will always be incomplete. It became immediately apparent to scientists that this was going to be a serious problem with building AI. If you can't say everything you know, how will you tell it to a computer? If you can't codify all the knowledge that makes up intelligence, how do you build AI? If you can't explain the things happening in an epileptic fit, 
how will you train a computer to know one minsky believed there was a way to bypass the polanyi paradox he believed that if you had a data set big enough and an algorithm that was layered you wouldn't need to tell a computer what you knew you had to simply give the computer the data and let it look for itself this idea sat in hibernation for decades impossible to implement because the tech just wasn't there yet and then the 80s happened when data got big the stars aligned and an idea that had been suspended in animation came alive again the moment big data became abundant we could capture millions and billions of data points and load them onto an algorithm ai exploded we could now show a computer more than we could tell now you no longer needed to explain what an epileptic fit looked like to a computer you could just hand a computer millions of data points about epileptic fits photos videos academic papers and let the computer figure it out now you no longer needed to tell a computer how we swim we let it track the mechanics of it by watching us do it with this simple bypass to the polanyi's paradox that rather than tell a computer we just show it we could suddenly build ai that beats humans in most games detects spam in our emails predicts sentences before we type them out translates sentences isolates the gene most closely linked with lung cancer finds another solar system with eight planets drives a car pretty well on an open highway writes a guardian op-ed you could say minsky's method was a success but dig deeper and you'll see polanyi's paradox continues to play spoil sport polanyi's paradox is a perimeter AI chips away at but can't truly demolish the story of AI today and in the future is this contest of ideas between Marvin Minsky and Michael Polanyi it's the tension between what we can do and what we can't the reality we can capture the reality that will always elude us over the course of this episode we'll talk to two practitioners in the field of AI both of whom have built on Minsky's work but have been held back in some niggling and defeating way by Polanyi's paradox The first is Shubham Bindlish founder of Predict 22 who built AI to make predictions for fantasy sports specifically IPL If you play fantasy cricket if you bet on players for stakes he believes his AI will help you better your odds and make more money This is Bindlish talking about where he gets his data from and how anyone can scrape it In cricket we are collecting ball by ball information so we capture who was the bowler who was the batsman and what was the outcome of that particular ball so whether it was a single a boundary a six whether he got out and so on so this is the information we have collected for cricket since to uh, since 96 and we have used the free uh, resources like crickbuzz and crickinfo to scrape this data for us ball by ball the data goes into a neural network a kind of logical infrastructure that you can literally just download off the internet collecting data on cricket is easier than collecting data on other sports because every ball in cricket is its own discrete unit where the possibilities of what can happen are very finite sports like football and basketball where time is the fundamental unit and not a ball the data is more challenging to collect so in cricket we can go ball by ball so we can in essence reproduce the entire match on the back end system for football and basketball because they are more fluid sports so it's very difficult to collect that instance by instance data so we're relying on your aggregated uh, data so for example for basketball we collect how many total baskets a person scored how many baskets they attempted 
uh, we do not we are not yet able to capture where they shot the basket from what was the pressure on the player at the time of shooting the basket and so on the kind of data we are collecting itself is different however once the data is processed on our system the neural network that we are using is pretty similar across the three sports so we are the data is very different we process it to a common standard and then that common standard is passed to a common neural network which produces the output but even in cricket there's a lot of data that gets missed did the bowler bowl a yorker was the wicket bouncy how were the fielders spread what was the energy in the stadium that night which team had what to prove which player had what to lose stuff that human members of the audience understand but the data is just not going to be able to capture even as the data gets more and more expansive there will always be things that get missed stuff that exists in the tacit dimension things of polanyi's paradox but there's still a lot a neural network can do it can tell you for example how many games chris gale is likely to play well before he plays badly taking chris gale's example uh in particular so whenever he's in a purple patch or he he's in a good form he is expected to have 6 to 7 matches where he's performing where he's expected to perform consistently well however when he's having a bad patch his the period of matches that he is not performing for reduces to 2 to 3 So let's say in a ten match uh, tournament, seven matches he could be doing well, and then he does poorly for the next three matches. So these are the trends that we have recognized for, say, a Chris Gayle. Now these numbers would change for different people. Say a KL Rahul. KL Rahul's the same numbers, the seven and three for him becomes five and four. So he performs well for five matches, then he does not perform well for four matches. So we, uh, if a person does not perform well in one particular match. we have a probabilistic estimate of how likely he's well to perform in the next match and then there's the ability to do computation that's difficult for statisticians to do the algorithms can model how players respond to their own teammates how the chemistry between teammates plays out so we are able to capture the correlations between players really well say for example virat kohli and ms dhoni when they play together they have certain levels of performance if either one of them is missing the performance of the other player is affected while if both of them are missing the performance of the team is affected now how much is uh, each player contributing to the team's win and how much they're contributing with the presence or absence of other players is what we are able to capture fairly well so rather than treat players as individuals you're sort of treating them as sub teams yes so we will have uh, multiple uh, layers of organization there so you consider the whole team you consider the batting unit bowling unit you consider top order middle order lower order for batting and then you look at the individual players and you also look at uh, pair wise uh, groups of players so i if i'm looking at the indian team i will look at virat kohli performing alongside each and every other player in the team how he's performing against each and every player in the opposition team and then all the possible groups of the same are also made these algorithms are seriously good at generalizations at catching statistical patterns that's half of the ai mandate but there was another part to minsky's ai hopes that ai would have the ability to build concepts to build ideas to create meaning to understand why things happen on this count today's ai doesn't get very far it could tell you who plays well with virat kohli but why those players work well with him 
that it wouldn't be able to say in fact ai can only see a very very narrow set of things maybe answer a couple of questions so right now machine learning algorithms are not able to answer five or 10 different questions at the same time so if i'm asking it who's going to win the match i would be able to design an algorithm to just answer who's going to win the match if i have any other question i would have to have a different network or a different algorithm which produces that answer for me it can answer very specific questions in very specific contexts finite narrow inflexible this brings us to another part of polani's lecture to truly understand a system you need to step out of it to understand a box you need to think out of it to understand how something works you have to bring ideas from somewhere else according to my analysis meaning is established always by relying on our awareness of one thing for attending to another the thing to which we are attending is then the meaning of the subsidiaries to which we are not attending at the time when we talked about the polani's paradox we were able to understand it by talking about swimming cycling epileptic seizures if you want to understand chris gale we compare him to kl rahul our understanding of systems come from outside it to see how this plays out on the ground we're going to talk to joseph cohen who is an ai researcher under joshua bengio at university of montreal cohen's research is on the limitations of ai in medical diagnosis the problems ai can crack reliably and ones it can't cohen has built ai that can diagnose diseases from chest x-rays it can do this with about 65% accuracy much better than someone completely untrained at diagnosis but much poorer than a trained medical professional this is him explaining the model he built there is some interesting dynamics with these models because let's say that the ones we have it can only predict 14 different pathologies right so that, that's that's very limiting so if you just have these 18 things if you just have this this limited number of things you can perform but maybe you perform them very well this might not be better than a a first year medical student who has been studying biology for a long time and and can spot all sorts of things like that just the breadth of knowledge is immense we definitely we don't have anything like that these these edge cases that the the kind of the breadth of different things that could be wrong with this patient that that are leading to this presentation of symptoms the ai the ai systems are 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 really finely tuned on specific tasks and not this big uh breadth of knowledge so i think i would definitely have a first year medical student over an ai tool for like generally treating me if i don't have one of these 18 pathologies the ai is is useless it's not it's not going to help me right and it's only got like one dimension it's just doing chest x-ray where medical students can incorporate all sorts of different modalities of data right they they look at your your medical history right they look at um your lab test that came right back right they they can look at not just a ct uh, not just a chest x-ray but they can look at a ct scan uh and an mri they can uh, look at the general demeanor of a person right and see whether their 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 skin is like you know looks weird or they're they're sweating right they can look at all these extra a- aspects right um so i think we we always need medical professionals to be there to treat patients i mean unless and unless the medical professional becomes the person themselves right um and then at that point they're just taking over um their own care the ai cohen has built has about 65% accuracy in general and can diagnose one of 18 conditions if you have a condition that the ai is not trained on 
If the condition is showing up in a peculiar or unusual way, the AI won't work. AI can also be super duper dumb at doing very basic things. If you gave the AI a photo of a cat instead of a chest X-ray, what would happen? Cohen's been able to get it to a point where the AI will say, "Hey, this doesn't look like any of the other photos. I'm not going to accept this data, and I'm not going to give you a diagnosis." With some effort, the AI now knows a cat from a chest X-ray. But if you input your chest X-ray sideways, then the AI wouldn't be so sure. Maybe the AI would figure something was off, but it's equally likely it wouldn't. And if you gave the AI a child's X-ray, it really wouldn't know the difference. It wouldn't know that children's bodies are different from ours. It wouldn't factor that into the diagnosis. For these reasons, Cohen doesn't think AI is anywhere near replacing doctors. At best, it's one more leg for a doctor to stand on. If a doctor is tired or overworked, then she has one more place to double check her diagnosis, like a spell check on a document. But a spell check is not a writer. For example, our model was was trained on adult chest X-rays, right? And if we feed in a pediatric chest X-ray from from a child, the, the model is not equipped to deal with that type of of X-ray. So it's you know it's a correctly acquired image, but it's got some demographic that is not represented in the data set. So we don't actually know how well it can perform. So it may work super well on a pediatric X-ray, um, but we can't be sure of that until we've evaluated the model on pediatric x-rays uh, or if the the patient has a, a new disease right so like the the patient has um let's say they're missing a lung right uh, the system has probably never been trained on someone that's missing a lung it, it may not know how to handle that case so we, we can't be sure because that patient is is far out of the training distribution but it's a correctly acquired image and you'd expect the model to be able to perform well on it but we don't know how well it's going to perform a human being understands not just what a chest x-ray looks like but what a chest is our ideas of human chests come from having chests engaging with our own bodies and the bodies of those we love hugging swimming yoga coughing watching cpr performed on tv our understanding of the human chest is conceptually rich because it comes from all of the place not just millions of chest x-rays this makes our concept of a chest resilient and flexible it means a human will have no trouble knowing whether a chest x-ray is right side up we've also held a child in our arms and we felt how frail old people in our lives are and so we conceptually know adults have different bodies than children and we understand that ai trained on adult x-rays may not apply well for young children or really old people that ai trained on data from one demographic could be straight up dangerous for another this principle applies in every context humans have access to information from all kinds of systems that help us make sense of other systems we take in information just from being alive and before we realize it we build concepts computers on the other hand get their data from inside the system they're analyzing they look for patterns in those systems think about this in the context of the metaphorical intelligence that we have When you ask me, "Hey, how's it going?" and I say, "Chal raha hai." It's the unspoken concept that helps us understand what the hell we're saying. Chal raha matlab daud bhi nahi raha hai, lekin ruk bhi nahi raha. Not great, but also not bad. 
Then we apply that cognitive model to whatever context we're using it in. A pattern recognizing system wouldn't be able to do this. Patterns are much more fragile and unreliable than concepts. Sure, if you use a metaphor enough, over time the AI will be able to understand how the metaphor is used. But no AI in the world could hear a new metaphor and instantly know what it means. Only humans can do that. Even as AI will get better generation after generation, these problems will persist. There will always be data that isn't captured, dimensions that are unspoken, and concepts and hypotheses, the ideas that come from elsewhere, that will remain the true worth of human intelligence. Here's something I want to end with. Mikhail Kusinski is a researcher at Stanford who in 2013 published a paper that inspired the work of Cambridge Analytica. He demonstrated that based on their Facebook likes, you could predict not just a person's political beliefs, but also how open they are to changing them. In 2017, he published research that, would you believe it, was even more controversial. He scraped a ton of photographs from dating websites, trained a neural network on those photographs. And this AI was able to tell, with over 90% accuracy, based on five photographs, whether a man is gay or straight. There's been a lot of debate about how his AI was making these predictions. Was the AI picking up on how the photographs were taken? The hairstyles, the facial hair, the piercings, the tattoos, the angle? Or are gay faces inherently different from straight faces in ways we don't understand? We don't know. And we don't know because the AI doesn't build concepts or tell us why. It just sees statistical patterns. Either way, Kusinski's AI could take publicly available information like a person's face and make really personal, really intimate predictions about them. In a world where this is not just possible, but happening at scale, Kusinski believes privacy is already dead. But is it really? And what even is privacy? This and so much more in episode three of Let's Talk About Big Data. Hi there. This is Aditya Warrior, the producer of Let's Talk About Big Data. We hope you enjoyed this episode because this is the second and last episode which will be outside the paywall. Why? Well, these long-form podcasts take a lot of effort to produce. From researching, reading books, to staying up late nights interviewing guests on the other side of the world, then comes scripting, recording, editing, re-editing, and everything in between. There's a whole team making this podcast a reality. And this would not have been and will not be possible without paying subscribers. So if you want to listen to the remaining episodes, which will be released in the coming weeks, you're going to have to subscribe. Visit newsroundry.com and pick a plan of your choice. This is how you pay to keep news free. And if you like Sneha's work, especially all you tech geeks out there, check her out on Instagram at Sneha Vakaria. Write to her and tell her all your feelings about this podcast. And if you'd like to contribute in some shape or form to this podcast, reach us at contact at newsroundy.com. This episode of Let's Talk About Big Data is written and hosted by Sneha Vakaria, produced by Aditya Warrior, edited by Aditya Warrior and Harshula Sharma, transcripts by Anna Priyadarshini and Arnav Binaikia. This episode was recorded at Rainbow Bridge School of Music in Bangalore. All the News Laundry podcasts are available on Stitcher, iTunes and any other podcast platform. Please subscribe to News Laundry. Help us keep news independent. 
catch all our podcasts on news, pop culture, current affairs and sport, visit newslaundry.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and subscribe to our YouTube channel.